Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The following podcast is brought to you exclusively by the RNR Podcast Network. Welcome to RTW Rewind. Red Rob will take you on a journey through time to relive some of the greatest moments, matches, and personalities from the sport of professional wrestling. Now, here's your host of the show, Red Rob, Rob Francois. Hey guys, welcome back to RTW Rewind. I'm your host, Brad Rob, Rob Francois. I hope you guys are doing well all around the world. Ah, those pesky grapplers. They got me. They ribbed me. They told me we were starting an AEW review show this week. Uh, but it's actually starting next week. So I was not prepared uh, to put out a show this week. Uh, a Rewind show. As uh, I'm going to keep it to Tuesdays now. And Thursdays will be the AW review show with the Brothers Grapplers. So they got me. In any event, I want to put out something for you to listen to today. Uh, this is back from about a year, year and a half ago, somewhere around there. Uh, it is a uh, episode from the vault of the Rad Turtles Wrestling Podcast. It's the interview that Jeff Johnson and I had with the one and only former WWF and NWA slash WCW announcer, Gary Michael Capetta. We were so fortunate to have a very pleasant conversation with GMC. He's a very, very nice guy and had lots of great stories to tell. So uh, if you guys haven't heard before, there you go. This is your opportunity. Uh, there's plenty of other interviews back in our previous episodes of the Rad Turtles Wrestling Podcast. So here it is. I hope you guys enjoy it. It is our conversation with the one and only, the world's most dangerous announcer, Gary Michael Capetta. RTW Rewind. Hey guys, welcome back to the Rad Turtles Wrestling Podcast. We're in episode number 42. It is our interview Tuesday time. I'm your host, Rob Francois, along with my best buddy, Jeff Johnson. What's going on, Jeff? What's going on, my friend? How are you? Man, having a great day. Having a great day. I had a great weekend, so um, I'm glad to be here. We have a very, very special guest today, and uh, um, you know, I, I've been excited to talk to this, this man for a long time. It's one of my bucket list guys, so uh, I'm, I'm fortunate that he gave us the time tonight. Uh, it is the former WWF 
NWA, WCW ring announcer. He works for ROH. Uh, he's pretty much seen it all and done it all in the world of professional wrestling. It is the one and only, the world's most dangerous announcer, Gary Michael Capetta. How are you doing tonight, sir? You cannot get away from me, you know. And in any decade that you've been a wrestling fan over 40 years, like, you just can't shake me. Yep, and, and and you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm absolutely all right with that. <laughs> uh, I, I've been a, I've been a band, big fan of yours, Gary, for a long time. Uh, as we had talked briefly off the air, uh, I grew up in the Northeast. I grew up in Connecticut, so I did grow up a WWF guy. But as soon as we got TBS, when we got cable, you know that's that's when I found you in, in around '88, '89 when you're in the uh, NWA and uh, when, when Turner had bought the promotion. So. Um, you know, I thought, man, this guy has such uh, a, a passion for the way he introduces people. You, you had a real fire that was unlike anybody else, really. I mean, you, you really put, it seemed like you put your heart and soul you know, when you're trying to put guys over when you introduce them. Is that kind of your, uh, your approach as you went about it? Yeah, my fan comes out in me. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess you're too young. Since you're, if you're from, uh, originally from the Northeast, then you're too young for my first 11 years which was with the McMahons, um, which is interesting because usually someone from the Northeast, like that's one of the first things that they connect with right. unless they're, you know, like 15 years old. Yeah, I was uh, 13 and 89, so I was born in 76. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I missed, I did, I was too young to remember your, your early years, but, uh, you know, I, I read I read your book, and it's it's a fascinating read from what I've seen so far, and the way you got into the WWF was was pretty funny. I, I appreciate you growing up a wrestling fan, because not everybody that gets in the business, at least on the uh, the production side, is ever a wrestling fan, but you, you really got to live out your dream when, when you got hired uh, by the WWF, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, but uh, it, just give our, for our listeners that don't really know who, who you are... And how you started? Uh, just give us a little snippet of how you uh, you you lucked you, you yourself into being uh, working for Vince McMahon Senior. My first thought, and I, you know what, I've never really, I've never said this before. I, it, you're listening to you is the first time I'm thinking, especially if you're a performer in pro wrestling. My guess is, and I don't have any statistics to back this up, but my guess is is that if you were a fervent wrestling fan growing up then your chance of success, either as an announcer or referee or a wrestler or a commentator, are so much greater mm-hmm. right. than if you, you know, were divorced from, you know, the, if you just discovered it. Or these days, um, and I'll circle around to answer your question, but these ways, the way WWE finds their um, announcing personnel is through professional um, networks, of announcers, not necessarily from the wrestling-based community. Um, with me, it was uh, something that could never happen today. Uh, I got to a point where I was a senior in college. It became difficult to uh, pay to get to the matches and to get in. I mean, after all, the tickets were three bucks. Right. <laughs> so right. Gas was probably like 70 cents a gallon. Yeah. And um, so I went into New York City um, I pestered an editor of the Ring Wrestling Magazine. He gave me a press pass in March um, of my senior year in college. And I wrote a couple of articles, one about midget wrestling, one about Gorilla Monsoon, which was um, kind of the way things happened that I actually interviewed Monsoon was kind of um, came around because he was he was the guy that put me in wrestling. 
Right. Um, three months later, I was at a match. They didn't have an announcer. Um, I volunteered. They asked me if I had any experience. I lied. I said, of course I do. Um, but I never, you know, I, ne- I didn't go to the matches with the intention of becoming part of the show. Right. It was just that I, I wanted, I was watching the show. I was more of a fan than a journalist. <laughs> and the, the show was just really slow because they didn't have an announcer. Right. So I volunteered just to speed it up. <laughs> and uh, the next week, uh, they asked me to come back. They told me, put a tie on, we'll put you in the ring. Because uh, I didn't announce him inside the ring that first time. Right. And uh, that was 1974. And it started a 40-some year love affair with uh, performing in pro wrestling. That's fantastic. That's such a cool way. Paul Heyman has a similar story of how he kind of lied his way in when when he tried to be a cameraman and, and kind of yeah, was able to sneak his way in the ringside and, and, and get accepted by everybody. So it's, it's kind of cool to hear stories like that from real avid wrestling fans that just wanted to be around the boys, or at least, at least go to the matches. Yeah, and, I remember Paul lurking around in the dressing rooms back in the 70s. And <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, I do yeah. remember that. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit. RTW Rewind. You know, I, I love the story with you and George Animal Steel and Lou Albano when uh, your, your first meetings with them, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Um, well, the fir- um, two years after um, I started announcing, um, I, I announced for those first two years in high schools, colleges, rodeo arenas, clubs, convention centers, Anywhere they could get roller skating rinks, yeah. anywhere they can gather uh, a group of people. And Gorilla Monsoon was my boss. And two years after I started, he called me and asked me if I wanted to start on TV. So that would have been 1976. And um, I said to him, I can't do that. He said, why not? I said, I, I don't have any clue as to how to do TV. He said, I just you know do what you usually do and it- it'll be fine. The bell rings, you talk, and that's you've. Just be sure you're facing the right way. So I went in. And so um, George Steele was uh, a teacher in Michigan, and he would come in for the summers. and um, But he would start on the TVs in May, June, so that because those were taped in advance, right. and they would air by the time he was able to be there live and in person day to day. So uh, the first time that... Uh, he came in, um, I, I went up to him in the locker room. Now, uh, it took me about a year and a half for them to allow me to enter the locker room. My first year and a half of announcing locally, I wasn't allowed in. Mm-hmm. But by then, they had to let me in because it was TV. Uh, there were dozens of new wrestlers every three weeks, and I had to find out where they're from, what they weighed, and, and if they had anything special they wanted me to to include in their introduction. So when I went up to him, I said to him, um, 
where would you like me to tell the people you're from and what you weigh? Like, what, what do you want me to tell the people you weigh? And uh, he, he just looked at me kind of strange. And he's, he was strange looking to begin with. <laughs> and he, he told me. And then, uh, so I go to the ring. I start the TV shows. I don't remember whether he was on the first taping, the second taping. But when he came in, he came around from behind me. Remember, I had to face one direction to face the hard camera. Right. And he put his arms around me, and he sacked me. And we both went down to the mat. <laughs> and I used to wear a carnation boutonniere. And in those days, I wore a live carnation um, and he started chewing on it, and I I don't know what the hell's going on. So I start trying to scamper. And of course, if he didn't want me to go anywhere, I wouldn't have gone anywhere. Right. Yeah. But I ran out of my jacket, so I left him with my jacket. And for years, he chased me, and he wouldn't <laughs> talk to me in the back. He would grunt. He scared yeah. the hell out of me. And I always hated when the summers came after that because I had to deal with this maniac. Yeah. It was only years and years later, like 18 years later, I'm in an airport while I'm working for WCW. I have a connecting flight through St. Louis and he does too, but he's working for WWF. And for the first time in all of those years, he came up to me to put his arms around me and hugged me. And I'm still afraid of him. I'm in my 30s. <laughs> right, and I'm right. still afraid of him. Yeah. <laughs> and so I said to him, George, I said, for the 11 years that I was with the McMahons, why did you do what you did to me? Why did you keep chasing me? And he said to me, and now listen how old school this is. Mm -hmm. He said, because that very first night when you came up to me, you didn't say where are you from and what do you weigh. You said to me, what do you want me to tell the people you weigh and where you're from and that's telling me that i'm a fake yep. just because of the the way that i praised it and he said i was going to show you that i'm not a fake and so therefore i played with you for the rest for the you know for the for the all of the for the decade and and and, and people um it, it really drew attention to me the mcmahon's didn't like it yeah, but they didn't stop him. I guess. I mean, he continued, and it drew attention to me, and it it drew sympathy toward me, and it made him more of a of a, an animal. Yeah, and uh, and then uh, a couple of years later, Jimmy Snooky came in. I had this exact same kind of thing with him, except I stood my ground and I didn't run. Nice. You know, because I just said, I've had this. This is like, I, I'm, I'm done with this. And I was in my, you know, I was in my 20s. I was real young. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. I can't believe he, he kayfabed you all those years. <laughs> that's so great. That, that's just something he would do. That, that's that's a long rib, man, really. <laughs> yeah, and the guys, you know, they, especially uh, the heels, they liked me. They knew that I respected mm -hmm. um, the sport. They knew that I was, they saw that I was serious with what I did. And sometimes I just got bored. And I think that was like a like a love tap. Like they used to do, like pull me down. They used to throw me. They used to body slam me. And they would never hurt me. Right. But it always it always made the people like, you know, come up onto their feet to see what the hell was going to happen next. 
That, that's hilarious. And I was wondering, too, because I never knew in advance anything. Right. They would just spontaneously, like, fool around with me. Now, did anybody ever sit you down? Did Gino or ever sit you down and smarten you up about, about everything? Or did you just kind of learn on your own? I learned on my own. Yeah. Um, actually, the first person that spoke to me like I, I uh, was inside the sport was the Grand Wizard of Wrestling. Mm, okay. um, he spoke to me as an equal. Monsoon always treated me as an equal. We just never talked about it. I gotcha. Yeah. How, how cool was, was, was Gorilla to work with? I've heard he's one of the nicest guys that, that you could ever be around. Yeah, not only to work with, but on a personal level. Yeah. Um, we both live in, in New Jersey, and I would go over to his house, and he would have a finished um, basement, mm-hmm. the pool table, and, and then we'd hang out. And um, um, gambling was just uh, legalized in Jersey during the 70s. And he loved to hit the casinos. Yeah, yeah, I've heard. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we had a uh, we had a very intense personal relationship. He took care of me until he couldn't anymore, right. which is when uh, Vinny bought him out. Yeah, yeah. I, I've always heard he was just great. He was a, he was a fantastic mentor to you know, to Jim Ross when he first came in in around '93. Uh, you know, I've heard nothing but great things about him. You were there, you know, pre his primetime stuff with Bobby. But I mean. Not only was he great behind the scenes, and he's a great manager, you know, running running the show, um, but he was such a fantastic performer, um, whether being a wrestler or, you know, commentator or the, the syndicated shows that they did. He, I mean, he was the all-around guy. He, I mean, he was just he was a fantastic person by all accounts that I've heard. The only time that I've, I ever saw him in bad humor was um, he thought, well, he, well, he was um, winding down his wrestling career. In fact, I uh, announced his last match. That's pretty cool. That's a good honor. Yeah. And um, it was. And um, so he 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 had owned twenty five percent of the WWF mm-hmm. Capital Wrestling at the time. Yep. And he thought that was going to be his uh, his retirement. And um, he didn't expect his his shares were pretty much forced from him. Oh, wow. And um, for those months um, when he saw that, I mean, he got paid for them. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, this was something that's the kind of investment that you pass on in your family. You yeah. know, so um, that was the only time I saw him in bad humor where he'd come into the locker room and I'd ask him a question. He'd say, ah, I don't know. Just I don't know because I have no pull around here. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it, it didn't last long, and he and Vinny, you know, came to be close again. Mm. But um, yeah, it was it was temporary, and it was sad. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, look what he he overcame it, and um, it just shows the metal of the man. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, he was one of their biggest stars. You know, when he got into commentary and all that, him and Jesse the Body were were great together. Him and Bobby Heenan were, to, to me, the best combination I've ever seen. Uh, just the chemistry that they had with each other was, was phenomenal. Uh, what year did you end up leaving uh, the WWF? Um, it was 1985. And did you go down south to, to the Crockett's from there? No. I, all through this time, I was teaching school. So I didn't have the flexibility of moving. I got um, One of the reasons that I left was that Vern Gagne was starting the, um, the first pro wrestling show on ESPN. Mm-hmm. And it was taped out of the Tropicana in Atlantic City. Yep. So I started the first national broadcast um, that I have, was ever involved in. Um, and so I announced for the AWA 
throughout its time in uh, taping in New Jersey. I, I do remember that show, actually. I used to come home from school and, and watch that on ESPN. Um, they had a lot of great wrestlers back in the day. How was Vern to work for? Was he, uh, was he hard to work for? Was he a nice guy? Was he stern? I've heard different, different stories from different people. Mm, I never had a problem with him. He always came through with what he promised. I, I, would, I would characterize him like a – to me, on the surface, he was like a, um, like a back-slapping – politician he always came like dressed really well um he was always smiling um when they took the show from taping it in atlantic city to las vegas i couldn't go along with the show but he brought me in to do a couple of his pay-per-views i announced wrestle rock for him in minneapolis and uh, super clash three in chicago um yeah and, and then he and Jim Crockett teamed together to form Pro Wrestling USA to try to counter um, Vinny when Vinny went national. Mm-hmm. So when they were in the Northeast, I announced their shows in Baltimore and um, the Meadowlands in New Jersey. Um, and that's how I became associated with the NWA. And, uh, and the NWA is where I remember you from. Um, my. My fondest memories, some of the greatest calls you ever had uh, for me have been the Ric Flair matches in 89 uh, when he had his trilogy with, with Ricky Steamboat, which we're actually, uh, we've been doing watch-alongs of those matches uh, the last few weeks. Uh, Jeff is a, is a younger guy. He's a newer fan. He's, he's watching for the first time, and they, were, you know, they still hold up now, you know, 30 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the passion you put into call, you know, I, I, I love the little nuance that you put in when, when Rick won the, the, the third match, he won the title back and, you know, and for the sixth time, he is the world. I mean, just your inflections and the little nuances that you put into it were, were fantastic. You were, you were unlike any other ring announcer for me. I was, um, I purposely, first off, other than Vern one quick time, no one has ever directed me as to how to announce. Okay. I mean, if you look at my career over, um, well, it was actually 21 consecutive years on weekly TV, um, you'll see a progression. My announcing with the McMahons was very different from the AWA, which right. was different from WCW. Um, and I purposely, um, and no one ever said anything to me about it, I did. I wouldn't say necessarily nwa champion because we were facing hulkamania i would always say he is the world heavyweight champion in other words forget about the territories forget about the promotions over anything and and that's how i felt over anything and everyone he is the champion he is the world's champion and that was like a very subtle slight (laughs) right And I love that. And, you know, not, not a lot of people realize that. And we're, you know, I, I'm, I try to be a student of the game. And, you know, I, I notice little things like that. And, you know, not a lot of people would pick up on that. But that, that's a very smart thing on your behalf to do because it really does make it seem like this is the guy and you don't want to miss him. When he comes to your town, this is the world champion. And yeah. you, have, you, you can't miss it. You have to be there. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just uh, kudos to you, man, for coming up with that. That's, that's very smart announcing. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised if um, I wouldn't have been surprised if they would have told me differently. Whoops, I'm lose. Just lost you here. There you go. Are we still together? Yep, we're still yep. here. Okay. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised if um, the WCW execs would have called me on that. 
It's like, well, we want to get our brand out there, you know, say WCW. Um, but I, I don't think they were really, you know, smart <laughs> enough to, to figure any of that out. And, and I've heard that as well. I mean, there's always too many cooks in the kitchen and, and the managers that were, were, that were there from the Turner side were not even, you know, had nothing to do with wrestling, didn't know anything about it. Uh, you know, when, when Bob Dew and Bill Shaw were there and, and, and Jim Hurd, and I've, I've heard nothing but – did you ever have any interaction with Jim Hurd? Because I've heard he, he was kind of miserable to work for. Oh, yeah, he's the guy that hired me. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I did um, Vern Gagne's pay-per-view, Super Clash, um, it was December 1988, mm-hmm. and um, um, I was on my way to New Haven with uh, – the the building representative for the, the guy that booked buildings for WCW, yeah, and um, he said, I, "Jim Hurd sent a message to you that I have," and, and so I said, "Okay," and my my thought was, if he wants to ask me a question, why did he just call me? But nevertheless, I said, "Okay." Now I was not under contract with uh, WCW. WCW had just started in October, November of '88, right? So I was a free agent. And the message was, Heard doesn't like that you're on AWA pay-per-views, and he wants you to stop it. And I said, really? I said, I'm not under contract to WCW, and if Heard thinks I'm going to sit home and pass up a payday, um, especially, you know, like that, a pay-per-view, um, he's out of his mind. And you can tell him that. And you can tell him that GMC said that if you want me exclusively, you need to put me under contract. And that's what brought me to my first contract with WCW. It took until uh, September of 89 when I started with them full-time. So when you were announcing uh, early in 89, then you weren't you weren't under a, an actual contract? Was it just a handshake? Deal? Right. right. Um, so, um, yeah, all of the Clash of the Champions that I did, yeah. um, anything I did for NWA or WCW up until um, September of 89, was a a per event deal. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. RTW Rewind. What were some of your favorite wrestlers to uh, interact with while you're there in, in, in WCW? Um, wow. There's so many of them. Right. Um, you know, I, I had very, I, I never had any issues with any wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Um, I always treated it more like a workplace. Yep. Um, one of the um, understandings when I went in and it was part of my contract was that I traveled alone um, because I know my personality and I know I would not be able to deal 
with being with the same people all the time in a cooped up car. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the rule was that the company paid for your car only if there were three wrestlers in the car. So if you split it with two other guys, you'd get reimbursed. Um, I was, I was real fortunate. Uh, I had a performer's pay and corporate perks. So uh, the company paid for, uh, they paid for everybody's flight, yeah. but they paid for my rental car, my hotel, my food. They paid for my transportation from home to the airport, like everything. So whatever my contract dictated, I was making that clear and free. I, I didn't, I had no expenses. Wow, that's a very shrewd businessman. You, uh, not not many people had that luxury. Well, I, I know myself, and I, you know, I wasn't going to be a golfer for anybody. I wasn't yeah. going to drop, you know, drop people off at the gym, and I also wasn't going to hand the car off and get stranded in a hotel room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it was just obvious to me. Yeah. Now See, that's not to say that I didn't travel with guys. Right. Um, guys traveled with me I, from time to time, and I extended my corporate perks to them. So they loved traveling with me because they didn't have to pay for food. They didn't have to pay for hotel. And, um, and they got, a, and they also got away from the cluster of, you know, traveling with the same guys over and over again. Mm-hmm. Now I was going to ask you if you ever got any heat because you, you traveled by yourself and had all those perks, but uh, it seems, uh, like, seems like you I, didn't. I never, uh, you know, flaunted it. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess, I guess they knew it. I don't know. You know, I don't know what they thought. Honestly, we never discussed it. No. But it was never something that I ever, you know, like bragged about or pushed in anyone's face. I mean, they knew. I guess they knew it. Yeah. But it was just not an issue. Who were some of the people that traveled with you from time to time? Um, Mick Foley uh, would travel. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> he's, new to- he's new Tory for being a cheapskate, so I can see him traveling with you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he was, uh, yeah, he was, he was terrific. Um, in my book, um, I talk about the night that Steve Austin traveled with me from Corpus Christi up to Houston, looking for his brother in the middle of the night at a strip club. Um, I also talk about the week that the undertaker, Mark Callis was on the road with me and he had his issue with Buzz Sawyer and he wanted to beat the crap out of him all week and I had to calm him down. Um, Dutch Mantel traveled with me, the juicer. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, they were isolated, um, times. Grizzly Smith, Jake, the snake's father mm-hmm. was an agent with WCW. And, um, I traveled, uh, I actually traveled with him, uh, cause he only would, he would only travel in his own car. Wow. In fact, when he lived in Texas and he loved to drive so much that they would want to fly him home, you know, for a long weekend. He said, no, 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 it's okay. I'll drive. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. He's old school, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, how was Dutch Mantel to ride with that? He, he's a wealth of, of, of knowledge. Did you ever try to pick his brain on, on your trips? Yeah. He's a, he's a very intelligent guy. He really and a, he's a funny guy too. It was just one time I remember uh, traveling through the mountains. Of, I think we were in Georgia, I think. Um, and it was like really foggy. It was like not very safe driving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he was a really cool guy. In fact, I'm going to be seeing him. Um, I have a, uh, a Hall of Fame and convention coming up in Providence, Rhode Island in June. And I look forward to seeing him there. Yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, he lives about 15 minutes from me. I, I've never met him, but he lives, you know, just one town over from where I am. 
uh, and you know, I I hopefully get to talk to him at some point one day. But uh, just stories that he has, yeah, man. I mean, he's just uh, he's just a wealth of wrestling knowledge. He's 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 literally seen it all and done it all. You know, giving Steve Austin his, his name and you know all all the stuff he's done in the business. But uh, what were some of the hottest crowds that you ever worked with that you can remember? What do you mean by hottest? Well, it's I guess you know they say Chicago's a great wrestling city. I mean, were there were there any events that you ever announced where just you could tell there was a lot of electricity going on that it was something special going on? Anything that ever sticks out in your memory at all? Yeah, I mean that that wasn't that wasn't unusual. I asked what do you mean by hottest because that could mean like excited for the event. Mm-hmm. That could mean dangerous because mm-hmm. I've announced it for the dangerous crowds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where you never knew whether people were going to um, storm the ring. Um, you know, I, I, all of the above. Yeah, yeah. Any any particular night stand out? Where well, let's let's talk about that. Where where did you ever fear for your, your life, or were there any real you know? What what were the dangerous crowds that you may have worked in front of? <clears throat> um, when I announced at the Bahamas Stadium um, in the islands. Um, they, they, the setup pretty much caused you to be fearful okay. because, um, the rampway from the dressing room to the ring and the entire rings covered by netting because to protect you, because people were throwing all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just anticipated it. They expected it, you know? So when you see something like that, it makes you look, you know, on your, on guard. Right. Um, there was a night in Altoona, Pennsylvania, where uh, Jim Cornette had a, an altercation with a fan who was uh, who, who was threatening danger to Jim and who was on his way over the railing oh, wow. to attack Jim. Yeah. And Jim took his racket and he smashed the guy's nose. <laughs> and, um, and they dragged the guy out. And, and you know... There's a misnomer that a a loud, screaming, cussing crowd is a dangerous crowd. That's not the case because right. they're they're releasing the tension, the energy, and the anger. Mm-hmm. It's when the crowd gets quiet and silent after something happens that they're not liking. Right. Then anything can blow. Yeah. And that's what happened that night in Altoona. Um, Jim was within his rights to, you know, to protect himself. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah. yeah, but that didn't change the way that, you know, the the neighbors of the guy saw it. Right. So uh, Midnight Express finished that match, and they didn't even change. They just went from the ring, picked up their bags, and into the car and out of there. Not only for their safety, but also because they didn't want to get arrested. Right, exactly. And Jim was such a heat magnet, so, I mean, I can, I can completely see how some of the fans that would buy into it. Cause I mean, he was fantastic at what he did. He still is uh, to this day. He, to this day, he's a heat magnet, you know, he, good, bad, or indifferent. Jim's going to give you his opinion. So, I mean, I, you know, I can see there's fans that, that, you know, that believe in it and uh, that, that shows you how well he did his job. That's absolutely correct. Yes. Um, now, I, I, I know you ahead, mentioned, yeah, um, you mentioned about, uh, you know, fan interactions and, and fans, getting involved like with Jim and everything like that. We've heard stories about how announcers and referees are kind of the ones that scope out the area, like maybe during an entrance or something like that. Was there ever a time that 
you know, you were there and maybe saw something that was going to happen ahead of time, or maybe, I don't know, or maybe a time you had to get your hands dirty or, or, or close to it, maybe because of a, of a wild fan? Um, no, I, I can't say that was the case. Personally, I always had a, a, a very good relationship with the fans, especially in um, arenas where we would go back to regularly. Right. Like for me in the 70s, it was the Philadelphia Spectrum and the Meadowlands. Mm-hmm. And then with the NWA, it was Baltimore. And then um, in the 80s, 90s, um, Jacksonville was a huge city for us. Um, Atlanta. So when you would, when we would go back to the same arenas, um, you know, we'd have the same fans. And um, um, I would say that more of my, what I did that was more important was never seen on camera. Mm -hmm. Um, It was more at the, at the live shows. And whenever you had to deliver a negative message to the fans, right. uh, Maybe someone's not going to show up that night. It was in a main event. Mm -hmm. Um, the night that Ric Flair was, uh, I had to announce that he was stripped of his title and was no longer with WCW. There are ways to do that um, in order to, um, well, so certain things, I mean, you just, it's just bad news. Yeah. But uh, when I was in Baltimore every month, um, whenever, and it didn't happen often, but whenever we had a no-show in a main event, we had to offer a refund. And the policy was you needed to get your refund by the end of the first match. So um, how I delivered that would always affect in some way how many people left. Right. And um, intermission, I would always check with the promoter to see how many people asked for refunds. And it just I sort of gauged what I was, you know, how I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, one, one mistake that, a, that an announcer commonly makes is to try to deliver bad news as if it's not bad and that's not what you do that's not a good idea it's sort of like ladies and gentlemen so and so is not here this evening and let them boo and say nothing and facially and with your body expression just say i know i agree it stinks yeah and then you try to turn it around and say, but ladies and gentlemen, instead you will be seeing and try to get them to believe that what they're going to see is going to be greater than what they paid to see. And, um, you know, it is what it is. It's bad news. But, hey, look at this. Look what we've got for you. Right. So not only are we going to make it up to you, we're going to make it up to you and, and do one better. Um, there's an art to that, and that's never seen on TV. And that's something I never really even thought of or even even heard of. Uh, that, that's that's great insight to what you had to do. Um, the other so- thing is when we were doing TVs, they wanted those fans rabid when we came on the air. Mm-hmm. That didn't just happen. <laughs> right. right. So, yeah. I mean, they, they just weren't thrilled to be there and, and you know, knew enough that, the, you know, that, that we were going to start. So I had different techniques in in talking to the fans before we went on the air in order to make them um, the way you saw them when we came back from a commercial on the Clash of Champions or at the beginning of a pay-per-view and you saw the, you know, 20,000 people on their feet and screaming, that didn't just happen. <laughs> Someone had to incite that, <laughs> and that was part of my job. And that, that's a technique that you still see today when you go to, to Raw or SmackDown or you know, any of your, your most you know, your wrestling events. 
especially between commercial, you know, like when the show before the show starts, they'll they'll do a live break into the crowd and they'll tell everybody, everybody show your signs, everybody stand up. We're going live in five minutes on the USA Network, and you know before Raw starts, and they'll get the the crowd fired up and stuff like that. What were some of the stuff? What were the techniques that you used to try to get people fired up? Uh, my favorite was I I, I just lied to them. Um, <laughs> my favorite was. And, and when I started doing this, I didn't check with anyone. I didn't ask the production people. I just decided, I think this is a, a fun idea. So I told them that in the production truck, we have a meter that gauges their responses. Then, so that we will know, compared to other cities, how loud you are. <laughs> so we are going to be shopping around for future pay-per-view cities and Clash of the Champion cities. And ladies and gentlemen, if you can be louder than the other cities, you may find a Clash of the Champions or a pay-per-view coming to your city. So right now, here are the top five that we have. And I would give them the list of five cities. And if I was in the south, I would give them northern cities. And if I was in the north, I would give them southern cities. And as the nights went on, I would say... um, um, okay, ladies and gentlemen, you've moved into fourth place. You're 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 louder than Philadelphia. Can you reach Boston? And the, when I first started doing it, the people in the trucks were saying, "What's he talking about?" Right. Like, yeah. like <laughs> I can hear them in my ear, and they were yeah. like all confused. Right. And it's like, just like, leave me alone. Let me do my job. Like, do you want these people loud or don't you? <laughs> and of course, by the end of every time I did that. The city in which we were in won. They beat New York City. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, yeah. So um, that that was that was just fun, and and it takes a it takes personality. It takes you know your ability to interact and connect with with. Um, no, I couldn't do that if you and I were sitting at a Denny's and across from the table. I couldn't pull that off. I couldn't right. lie to you. Right. But I'm great. At lying to twenty thousand people at once, <laughs> I could I couldn't sell you, you know, uh, my Rolex watch for five bucks. Right. I don't have a Rolex watch, but if I had one, <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't sell it to you for five bucks. But I could sell that bizarre concept to twenty thousand people. That's, it's, that's awesome. It's just uh, uh, what I do. That's that's an inherent talent. It sounds like you're a born entertainer, honestly. I mean, you have a such charisma and such personality. Yeah, you're, you're not just your normal. I mean, you'll see a lot of ring announcers from back in the day. They were kind of plain, kind of straightforward. Uh, even even before you got down there, you know, when they had you know the announcers and the Crockets, you know, it, you like I said, you you brought in a whole new life when you came in, a whole new new way of announcing people, and and your passion for the business really shine through and just hearing that yeah that's that's fantastic that's something i've never heard before and well and, you know you, you have to know when to do it and when not to right you know when you have a ricky steamboat rick flair match there's all seriousness in that yeah that's the sport that's the number one prize yep. and i was serious about bringing every match to the ring mm-hmm. it it had to be the lead of a wrestler that would cause me to break the seriousness. Like uh, I was watching some video footage um, earlier this week of two cold Scorpio coming in and dancing. And he wanted me to dance with him. I, I, can't, I can't dance at all, but I tried. Right. I would have never, ever done that if he didn't engage me. Yeah. Um, so you have to know what to do and when and what's appropriate and when. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. RTW Rewind. You are genuinely almost excited when, when like title changes happen. I mean, you your, your voice even cracks sometimes because you put just you put everything into it. I mean, you. You know, you just had like I said, you just had so much passion when you made your call, and it's just. Well, I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad you. You. You took my cracking voice that way. That's <laughs> complimenting me for my cracking voice. You know, um, I will say to any any announcer, any performer, um, actually in wrestling or in music or in theater, never forget what affected you when you were sitting in the third row and paying for a ticket. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a um, that's a perspective you should never lose um, because if you lose that and if it becomes just another night at the office, then you're really shortchanging the audience. You have to you have to understand through being a fan. And this is how we started our conversation that you you know if you weren't a fan first, you don't have that perspective. Yeah, you don't know what you know what it what would make you excited. Things that a non-fan would never be able to relate to. Now, when you sat there and watched some of those great matches like Steamboat and Flair and, and Steamboat and Funk, and 89 was such a fantastic year for me. 89 90 were, were two of my favorite years you know, for, for WCW wrestling. When you're sitting there watching some of the great matches, how... How engaged were you? Were you excited to be there? Were you, you know, blow for blow? Were you, were you trying not to sell your, your fandom or, you know, were, were you pretty reserved? But I mean, inside, just watching it and knowing that you're such a great fan, how cool was it there to just be ringside and see some of the greatest matches ever? Very cool. Um, but um, I was, um, if you went to a, to a wrestling event, whether it was live or whether it was televised, I treated every match, whether it was the opening match or the main event, the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, what we just talked about as far as a fan's perspective, I can't expect that a fan that's two rows behind me to be into the show if I'm not into the show. Right. Now you have to remember, when we traveled from city to city, I was seeing the same matches every single night, sometimes for three weeks, and th- uh, every night in a row for three weeks. Yeah. Um, so that yeah, sometimes it was a little bit orchestrated. Sometimes you know, but when when a big move happened, I moved. Nice. You know, when, yeah. you know, I responded. I you know, I, I can't tell you that that was always genuine because I saw it the night before, the night before that, and the night before that. Right. Um. So that I think that's you know that's important because you're responding 
to what the people are paying to see and what's important to the people. Mm-hmm. And you also create an identity with the people that because they would look at me and they would say, well, if Gary's like alarm. Something's happening here. Yeah. Um, here's a pet peeve that I have. <laughs> if you, I, I, I rant sometimes. That's fine. And, Go for it. <laughs> you know, as, as my uh, as my Facebook supporter page people know, I can't help it. I rant. Right. <laughs> um, one of my pet peeves today is um, I love to go to the to indie shows, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be an indie show. It could be a WWE show. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But when it's it seems that there are too many announcers that don't understand their their entire role, right? And um, they do a, a fine job in introducing the match, but do not do not step out of the ring when the match starts. Sit at ringside and take out your phone oh, and start yeah, scrolling yeah. through messages. Yeah. Do not divert your attention and start talking to someone like what's going on in the ring doesn't matter. Right? Does that mean you're above what's going on in the ring? Um, I would tell wrestlers, <laughs> I, I would tell them, I said, look, if you ever see that, if you ever see a ring announcer do that, you tell them. Like, in the back, you, you walk up to them and you say, hey, look, you're disrespecting my work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, the next time you do it, and I want you to do this. I want you to push them up against the wall and scare the hell out of them. <laughs> yeah. Because that, it's, 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 it's very important. It's, you're not part of the show just when you're speaking and the spotlight is on you. Right. Always. I always considered my job to start when I got out of my car in the parking lot. And it didn't end until I got back into my car. Right. Yeah. Now that's a school, and, and it is a different day, but um, that's. But I, but I agree. I agree with you one hundred percent. If 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 the current announcers or employees are not interested in the product, why should I be? So I mean that that you're exactly right about that. And uh, if the promoter wants you to be streaming, you know, during the show, then just go to the back and do it. Right. Yeah. And then return to the ring to announce the winner. Yeah, but they're usually taking pictures, or they're they're on Twitter, and they're they're tweeting during the show and all that. And yeah, I get it. It's you know, it's a different generation now. It's, it's a different time. Things things are different now. But you're you're one hundred percent right. Um, yeah, but the result that they want from the presentation is the same. Yeah. Right. So I mean, they want people to react, and in order to get people to react. I know it's more difficult today, but to get people in the moment of what's going on, you can't distract from that. Yeah. I, I was so angry one night I went to a concert and, um, and uh, the, the opening act came out and the, the, the audience didn't know who this guy was because he was an opening. He was a local opening act and it was just him and his guitar and a microphone. And from the side of the wings of the stage, I'm, my eye is caught by something, and it's it's a like a, a pen lighter, and he was communicating with the sound guy with this with this light, mm-hmm. and I'm saying this poor fellow with the guitar is trying his heart out to get and capture the audience's attention, and this jabroni in the wings is distracting. Yeah, you know it's the same idea. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, uh, you know, and the referees in WCW did a fantastic job of selling emotion as well. 
Uh, Tommy Young was great with his facial expressions. With he'd react to the moves. Nick Patrick was also fantastic at that. Uh, you know, Randy Anderson, Mark Curtis. You know, they had a really great group of professional referees down there that would honestly feel the emotion of the match and react accordingly, just just as you would the ringside. Yes, and Teddy Long too. And Teddy Long, you're right. Yep, Teddy Long. Right, he was a referee at the time. Yeah, we were. Uh, and 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 when during those years, um, those early years of WCW. We weren't, uh, the referees were not wired to the truck. No one had earpieces. Hmm. Um, I didn't so, know yeah, and I was, um, my microphone was attached to a box that I carried on my belt, which had another wire that ran out of the ring. So I didn't have the flexibility of running and jumping and like moving to different areas. I was like, I was like a, a monkey on an organ grinder. I was, I was stuck there. So when a wrestler grabbed for my mic, I had to, in case you ever, in case you ever noticed, like I always had to follow him because he was, that microphone was tied to my waist. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. And I always wondered that why that happened too. So that's good to know. Someone wants to say hi here. Oh, look, she's bothering me. This is Harry. Hey. Hey. That's Harry. Keep so maybe dogs. she got that out of her system and she'll go to bed now. <laughs> go away, because you don't have anything to say about wrestling. Go, go. Into bed. Bed, bed. I have a 14-year-old Maltese, and she's sleeping now. So, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're both of us are big animal lovers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what, now, between working for WWF and, and WCW, obviously they have two different kind of management styles. We know that Vince McMahon is, was completely hands-on. Um, when you were there working for Vince Jr., um, how was he back then? Because that's kind of in the early days when he first took over. Was he pretty easy to get along with? No. <laughs> he was uh, very arrogant. Mm-hmm. You know, he was an arrogant boss's son. Really? Right. So do you, in, do you the 11 years, in the 11 years I worked with uh, uh, that organization, eight of them were on TV Mm-hmm. on their uh, weekly TV, and he was the commentator. Right. So he sat maybe 10, 15 feet from the ring, and in all of those years, he acknowledged my presence three times. Wow. wow. No kidding. He didn't, yeah, he, he didn't take to me. <laughs> I don't know why, but he didn't. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's interesting. Um, have you ever had any contact with him since he left the company at all? We were both at Bruno San Martino's funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, no, I we didn't. I almost wanted to go up and say hi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but in the church, um, yeah, I just thought that might complicate. I I just didn't. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate with the passing of Bruno. I know you're a huge Bruno fan when you grew up, uh, as yeah. I read from from your book. Um, you want to talk about a legend, man? You know, sold out Madison Square Garden like a record, what eighty something times. I, I I forgot what the what the actual number was, but he was always proud of of being the top guy, and he he, he put so much pride in in his work. And um, I've always heard great things about him. Did you ever actually get to to meet him when you worked there? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, we we became very friendly. Um, in fact, it, it's kind of sad because. The first night, going way back in this in our interview, the first night that I stepped in the ring to actually officially introduce, he was in the main event, and his opponent that night was Nikolai Volkov, mm-hmm. and we lost both of them within a year. Yeah. yeah so that true. was uh, particularly sad. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. RTW Rewind. How are things run in your estimation differently in WCW? Um, well, I didn't have any firsthand ex- Well, there, there was no formalized office. Mm-hmm. With the WWF, right. it was you know it was Vinny's father, and um, they, this was before Titan Towers. You know this yeah. was before right. their their Connecticut headquarters. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't have any. Um, I had no association with them corporately. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, I was on a. There was no contract. I was on a per event agreement, and uh, I would show up at an event. I had absolutely no corporate interaction with the, with them. I, got there really wasn't a, I mean, on paper, there was a corporation, mm-hmm. yeah. but there was no brick-and-mortar corporation. I got building. you. Um, who was your boss at WCW when you were there? Who, who, who was in charge of, of what you did? <laughs> was there, or was there anybody in charge of you? <laughs> I, I guess it was, uh, in the beginning, it was Jim Hurd, you know, and then every time that position you know, it was turned over to a different person. Then they became yeah. um, that person. It was Bill Watts. It was Ollie Anderson. It was Eric Bischoff. You know, it was um, different people in different years. But I had, I really had no, I mean, my deal was my deal. And it, um, other than, um, you know, the, the money figure, the, the, I had a good deal from the, to begin with. So there was no restructuring right. of anything. Uh, so, so nobody really give you any 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 direction there. They just kind of let you fly on your own. Just give you what was going on for the night, or were you in any production meetings at all? Or yeah, I was at all the production meetings for the oh, yeah. for all the TVs. Um, but um, nobody ever told me what to do or how to do it. <laughs> that's 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 fascinating. When you know, when you think of a big company like that, uh, usually everybody has a, has a supervisor. Um, I just find it funny. I mean, I didn't know if. If Jim Ross was in charge of any of that, or, or Tony Schiavone when they were there, but uh, yeah, they all, all of the above. But yeah. um, um, you know, and I'm forever grateful to those fellas. Um, um, for the eight years I was on WWF TV, my name was never mentioned except by me in the beginning of the show. Wow. When I, because we used to have to uh, by law, we had to announce the state athletic commissioners and doctors right. And, right. and I'm your ring announcer, Gary, you know, Michael yeah. Capetta. Um, but when it started actually in the AWA uh, with Doug McLeod and um, where they would pitch to me by name mm-hmm. and then um, Jim Ross and um, everybody in, in WCW, Tony Schiavone, you know, let's go up. To, and then um, 
Jim Cornette called me the world's most dangerous announcer, and that stuck. And when that happens, that elevates your position. It sends a message to the people at home that the ring announcer is part of the team. And um, I, yeah, I always appreciated that. And I, and I didn't know that Jim Cornette came up with that. that that's, that's funny. Did, did you ever talk to him why he, he, he came up with that or how he came up with that? Yeah. Um, it, it's, well, it's, it's from Dick the Bruiser, who's the world's most dangerous wrestler. Mm-hmm. And um, David Letterman grew up in Indianapolis, was a big Bruiser fan. When he started his talk show, he nicknamed um, Paul Schaefer Orchestra the world's most dangerous band. Yep, I do remember that. Yep. Yep. So yep. It, it just, I guess that's, you know, that's <laughs> where it, the history of, of it, that's, that's where it came from. And they took with it and ran with it. And the first time I ever heard it was when Jim Ross would do it. And he was fantastic at pitching you. Just, I mean, he was fantastic at everything. Um, but yeah. he, he put a lot of, he really put you over too, very, you know, very well. He did. And I, I always appreciate that. Now, I do remember one time on Halloween Havoc 89 when Christopher Cruz was brought on board and he was doing the uh, the opening of the show. He had introduced you as uh, the world's most, I think, the world's greatest announcer or something like that. So he, he kind of messed up the, uh, the, the the throw to you. That's one thing that always stuck out in my head. I don't know if, you're, if you ever even knew that. but No, um, I didn't hear that, but it was that was probably before the moniker came. I think the moniker, you know, if you're talking 89 and when Chris was there. I don't think uh, Jim Cornette has made that up at that point. Okay. All right. The chronology of it, I'm just thinking. Right. Right. Yeah, I get that. Okay. Um, What year did you leave uh, WCW and what were the circumstances? Um, It was uh, 1995 and um, Eric chose not to renew my contract. Really? Uh, Okay. Uh, he, did he ever give you a reason why or did you have any kind of kind of heads up that you knew it was coming? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I knew more than a year in advance that it was coming. Um, the uh, the year before when it was coming up to contract renewal, um, he pretty much I think he, he didn't um, put much stock into the role. He didn't um, feel that it was an important role mm-hmm. in the presentation um, because and and he was also, I think he was emulating what the WWF was doing, which was um, the commentators speaking over the ring announcer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what he started to do. And it started to diminish my role. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it also was expensive to fly me in and out of um, this area. Um, it was proposed to me that if I moved to Atlanta, and put some time in the office and then continue to do the announcing that, um, you know, that maybe we could continue, but I had no interest in working in the office. You didn't. Cause I, I mean, that's something that we know that Howard Finkel did when, you know, in, in all his years with the WWF, yes. uh, you know, he, he was a big part behind the scenes. And I guess, I guess that was cool with him, but that never interested you at all, right. To, to work behind the scenes and, and do anything corporately. No, because it was, it's always so political and so cutthroat. Right. And I had a good relationship with everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, I was happy doing what I was doing. Um, they were flying me down once a week to do the uh, a commentating of their Spanish product because I, I speak Spanish. Right. Um, and that was, you know, I understood that was expensive. Well, it was, it was expensive partly because they didn't know what they were doing ahead of time. And they <laughs> got air tickets at the last minute. 
Right. Um, but I would fly back and forth in a day. So I would have breakfast at home and I'd have dinner at home. And in the middle, I'd be in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, just doing that one show. Uh, speaking of Spanish, that, that, that brings one memory that comes out in my mind. Uh, when El Gigante uh, first came in to WCW, I remember you uh, doing an interview with him in the ring in Spanish. And I'm like, wow, Gary, come out of Spanish. That's pretty cool. And you're, I mean, now that I know that you're an English major uh, or uh, a Spanish major and a Spanish teacher, it makes mm-hmm. sense now. But back then, when he came in, and I don't know if it was 90 or I think it was 1990 or 91, somewhere around there, um, you had a, a complete interview with him translating back and forth between Spanish and English. And I, I, I thought that was pretty neat. That was that was an interesting day. Um, when I arrived there in the afternoon, Jim Hurd, um, he came up to me and he said, oh, he's telling me, we've got something great for you. He said, um, we have a new wrestler. Um, he's a giant. And you're going to um, interview him. To our, it was a Clash of the Champions from Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. So I said, that's great. He said, and, and we're going to put a, um, a six-foot-high aluminum ladder in the ring. And I said, why? And he said, because you're going to climb up the ladder <laughs> to interview him. Yeah. I said to him, why would I do that? He said, well, because he's over seven foot and you're short. So, and I'm thinking to myself, live television, this is our biggest audience that we have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> aluminum ladder, lumpy ring, brand new wrestler. Disaster. <laughs> that's that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah, exactly. And um, it was one of many times over the years where I disagreed with um, my boss. You have to know how to disagree with him. Yeah. You know, you, you would never say, well, I'm not doing that. Or you would never say, oh, that's, that's a dumb idea. So I, I thought really quickly and I said to him, Jim, I said, that's fine. That, that's the first thing you always say. That's right. fine. Yeah. But, um, Here's, here's another thought for you, Jim. Um, I mean, the guy's a giant. You want to put him over as a giant. Wouldn't it be more impressive if I had to hold the microphone over my head exactly. and stand on my tippy toes? And I sold him on that idea. So um, the whole point of the interview was to promote that he was going to be in a six-man tag team match at the pay-per-view coming up. Yeah. And um, every time I asked him a question in Spanish – his Spanish answer was wrong. So, I mean, it wasn't the information that they wanted me to get out to the public. Right. So after a couple of questions, I just decided, because if if I had translated what he said, Mm -hmm. who do you think is going to take the heat for that? (laughs) Yeah. 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 So uh, I just decided that no matter, after a couple of questions, no matter what he said, I was going to tell the people what he was supposed to say. Wow. And because I thought, well, you know, all the, the Spanish speaking people out there are going to think I'm an idiot. But, you know, that's a yeah, slip. Exactly, yeah, right. yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. But that, that's funny. I never knew that. Um, that's great heads up thinking on, on, on your behalf for doing that. Did you ever tell him when he, when he went to the back? Because uh, did anybody know that you had you had ad lib for him? No, no, <laughs> cool. no because, because if I had revealed that someone would have. You know, said so, well. The, you know, then they would have challenged it. They would have made a big deal of it. Mm-hmm. No one, no one else spoke Spanish. Some of the wrestlers did, but none, no one else in administration. So they didn't have a clue as to what he was saying, and they didn't have a clue as to what I was saying when I was speaking Spanish. And so Gonzalez had no clue that what you're saying when you spoke English. So, <laughs> so, so like, why cause a controversy? You know, yeah. it's just 
you know, I just on the down. I mean, that I, Jim Ross, when I, uh, one recent time when I spoke to Jim Ross, um, one of the things he said, and I, I never thought about it before, but he said, Gary, he said, you were always low maintenance. In other words, tell me what you need. I'll do it. No drama. <laughs> yeah. the, only, the only thing I would ever say to them when they started getting more um, structured in corporate, when Eric started, um, I started to get um, announcements and they wanted them read. And I said to them, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Like, that's not me. These aren't the words of a ring announcer. This is, these are, this is, this might be good for a press release. So I will communicate all of the bullet points, but I'll put it in Gary Michael Capetta East. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's what I did. That, that's something I wish they did nowadays as far as the current product when, when they're, they're so heavily scripted uh, in WWE with, with the wrestlers and their promos. Most likely, you know, or most of the wrestlers nowadays, especially the new guys, aren't allowed to create a freedom to go off on their own and, and kind of cut their own promo. And a lot of it shows. You can tell they're trying to recite lines. Um, it's just a different, it's a different game now. If, if it's not coming from your heart and you didn't write the word yourself, it's not going to be believable. Yeah, not only that, but people have been had at that point had been watching me for twenty years. Yeah. So all of a sudden, for me to have a different tone and a different way of speaking right. is is just silly. It's it's not me. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And um, no one, thank God, no one ever said to me, "No, you will say it that way." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> then we would have had an issue. Right. Had you stuck around, maybe Bischoff would have would have tried to to strong arm me that way and, and make you do it his way. I would have never been heard on the air again, so I don't think it would have mattered. <laughs> right, yeah, 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 I, I got you. Um, what, one particular uh, clash I remember uh, of note was uh, from Fort Bragg. Uh, that building, from what I've heard, was hotter than hell that night, literally temperature-wise. Yes. How, how uncomfortable was that night? It was. It was so hot in that building that it, I was sitting on a, a metal folding chair. Mm-hmm. And between just the heat, the natural heat, and the heat from the lights, that just the time that I left the chair, went into the ring, maybe during uh, um, a commercial, and to introduce the next match, my seat would be too hot to sit on when I I returned to it. It was uh, was just like, you know, we were all made up, and... It just the makeup was just streaming, streaming yeah. down my face. I remember seeing Jim Ross, and I think I don't know if it was Bob Caudle with him, but you know you could just see them just sweating bullets. You know when they go on camera, uh, was that one of the most uncomfortable nights you ever had to work with? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think about it often, and maybe that's why. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, crowd, was, the crowd was great, though. I mean, the, the crowd the soldiers, was great. Yeah, the soldiers there and everything. You know, they were they were loving it, man. That that was such a great crowd. So I mean. Everybody's just yelling and sweating together. I mean, it just—it seemed like it was a good time, even if it was kind of miserable to work in. It looks like everybody had it. looks like everybody had a fun time that night. So yeah, the, it made it made for a, you know a wrestling atmosphere, right? But it was hard to uh, you know it was just hard to get through. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. RTW Rewind. Did, were you ever alerted of the finishes? Did you, did you know uh, how the matches were going to end? Or you just kind of just what you saw in the ring and you saw the pinfall or the submission or the count or whatever and it was your, just your time to go? Yes, I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't want to know. And if there was, um, just like in real life, um, I would go to the referee if I had any question about mm-hmm. what was going on and consult with the referee before I made my announcement. Right. So you'd rather be surprised, and, and I guess that's where a lot of your emotion probably does come out of is the fact that you you had no advanced knowledge of the finisher who was going to win. So when when Rick Flair, you know, just using him as an example again, when he won his title back. Uh, you were you were generally surprised, and, and you put a lot of emotion into your call. Probably. I mean, I don't remember what was said at the production meetings, you know, right. this many years later. Um, I don't recall knowing in advance what mm-hmm. finishes were. Yeah. And, and it's fine. I mean, to me, as a fan, I'd rather not want to know either. You know, it just keeps the element of surprise. And remember, um, like I said before, the referees were not wired to the truck. Mm-hmm. So... Um, another job that I had at ringside was keeping them apprised of the time that's gone by in the match. I do remember that. I would have finger signals to, uh, to catch the the referee's eye to let them know five minutes gone by 10, 15, so forth. And I remember the, uh, the first match between Sting and Ric Flair. I do remember actually counting down the time, uh, over, over the loudspeaker as well. Um, I don't know if you recall that, but I, 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 think you did uh i'm not sure that it was me if it was if you're talking about clash one i was not there that wasn't you okay um maybe actually you know but but i did it often you know i did it when we needed it to be done i think the clash in new orleans i think you call that event steamboat and and, and flair two out of three falls I, i did yeah yeah and i remember you do you did count down the time uh during that as well because it was, it was yes. a fairly long match you know, not long ago, um, I watched a Ring of Honor pay-per-view, mm-hmm. and um, the main event went the full 60-minute time limit, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was a terrific match. But the ring announcer never introduced it as a one-fall, one-hour time limit, mm-hmm. and the commentators never, ever made reference to the yeah. fact that it had an hour time limit. So when the bell rang at the end of the, this terrific match... It was uh, Matt Taven and the champion... Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal. Yeah. It just was flat. Yeah. And I'm saying to myself, well, first off, they should always announce a time limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, exactly you can't right. just announce a time limit when it's going to go the length. It's That's, that's yeah. silly. Yeah. Um, and, so, so, and sometimes, let's say if it's a one-fall 20-minute time limit... So sometimes they might wrestle to the 19-minute, 34-second point, and you have a pin. Yeah. Sometimes it goes to the 20-minute mark. 
you keep the, the suspense. You keep the people guessing. Um, and it's, it's, it was a tool to create suspense. There's a reason when you watch football, hockey, basketball, that there's a running time up there. Right. And it becomes more suspenseful when it's uh, a seesaw battle. Yeah. There's a reason for it. And it also legitimatizes the sport. Exactly. Yeah. And that's something they don't do anymore at all. And I'm surprised they even use that as a finish, given the fact that nobody even announced the fact that there was a time limit. So when the bell rang, the fans are probably looking at each other like, what the hell just happened? And, and on, as you watch it on TV, it was just like a thud. And I I don't like to uh, – Ring of Hon- I was with Ring of Honor for – a few years in its infancy. So I, I really don't like to be critical of them. Oh, no, we love Ring of Honor, too, trust it, yeah. Yeah, um, and especially, that's why, you know, I said that the match was terrific. Yeah. But it, it was, I, and I think it's all a matter of inexperience. Mm-hmm. I think that the staff and the announcers are so young that I don't think they know any better. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think they could use some, some um, elderly wisdom behind the scenes there. Yeah, you're exactly right. And taking away the time limit is just taking away a, a possible finish to the match. Um, you know, there are so many things that, like, things were done traditionally for a reason to create a better match. Um, and I'll give you another example: tag ropes. Mm-hmm. And also, the only way you have a legitimate tag is when the guy's feet are on the apron and you tag hands. Yep. Not you, you just slap them on the back. Right. Yeah. There's a reason for it. Yep. And when you throw that out the window, you've um, you've done away with um, you've given away another tool that you could be working with to add to the match. Right. And uh, when we spoke with Jimmy Corderas, uh, former WWF referee, uh, you know, we talked about the fact that referees aren't even really used as, as a finish anymore. A lot of them are nameless and faceless. So you don't even know who they are. You know, you, you'll know the guys that might be still around WWF like uh uh, Mike Kyoto, you know, who's been here a long time, and and guys like that. But half the time, you don't know who they are, and they don't, you know, they don't play a part in in the uh, in the match anymore. They're just there to count the falls. Yeah, it's funny when I when I did my little rant um, on Facebook about um, you know, that issue with not announcing the time limit, and I had some younger uh, fans respond saying, "Well, everybody knows that a championship match is always a one hour time limit." And my response was, yeah, like they follow rules, like ever, yeah. you know, even rules that we know about. Yeah. Give me a break. Well, it's like the fact that, you know, closed punches used to be worn by the referee, and now they don't even think twice about it, you know. That, that used to be a big part of a match is, hey, you know, make sure your hand's open. Don't don't use a closed fist. Nobody even admonishes anybody for that anymore. It's, it's You're right. The, the, none of the rules that traditionally have been used in the past are even followed. And I – and I um, you know, and I know that there's an evolution to the business, and I know right. um, to the sport. I don't like to say the B word, um, <laughs> and um, and and things need to, you know, to some things need to be brought up to date. Yeah. Um, I understand that with the exposure that everybody has to wrestling all over the world, um, different styles are being introduced from Mexico and Japan. Yep. Not a problem. When I do, I do have a problem when it's a dumb move like right. when a guy's when a guy stands at the top turnbuckle and he faces inside and flips backwards mm-hmm. was that a, uh, like that's like who would ever do that yeah. if you're if you're wrestling i mean or you're fighting someone you want to win how yeah. stupid is that but nevertheless um so i, I don't want to come across as a grumpy old man 
Um, <laughs> I you know, and, and I don't think that it, that wrestling should look like it looked in the 1980s or the 1970s. Right. Not at all. But you'll find that when I have um, an issue and I start to rant, that the purpose is always to keep the sport healthy for the future. Right. Um, there, you know, five years ago, people might have said, ah, the circus, the circus is, it's an institution. It's never going to go away. <laughs> yeah, right. And the circus tried to become everything to everyone who knew whether it was a, an ice show or whether it was, you know, a theatrical production or who knew. And, um, and then it became nothing to anyone. And it disappeared. Well, the big one did. Mm-hmm. I don't yep. want to see that. I don't want to see that happen. The other thing is, is that WWE being the leader, everybody follows what they do. Right. So it's like if they carry a disease, everyone's going to catch it. Yep. And um, I can't tell you how many um, every indie show that I go to. You know, when they introduce their champion, he's you know the way Paul Heyman always introduced Lesnar. He's the defending, the reigning, defending, whatever the heck that is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it all trickles down. And if it's something that's negative and it negatively impacts the sport, it's not making it healthy for the future. So I'm just trying to to protect the future. Yeah, yeah, I do understand that. So that being said, when when let's just say you watch a match between, say, you know, Kenny Omega and and you know Okada or stuff like that from from New Japan and. It's a bunch of flip flopping and flying, and, and no one sells anymore. Does that does that turn you off, or did, are you still excited to watch? Can, can you can you enjoy it for what it is? Is what I'm probably trying to ask. Yeah, I can. Yeah, um, yeah you have to understand what um, um, what they're trying to accomplish. Mm. Um, you have to understand what the goal of the promotion is. Right. Um, when I watched the pay per view, the New Japan Pro Wrestling Ring of Honor show from Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Um, uh, one question that I came away with is, do they want to expand their audience or do they want to keep it like very clickish? Like a niche. Because as somebody yeah. who doesn't, is, I'm not schooled. I don't watch, I'm, I'm an honor club member actually, but I don't watch the show every week yeah. and I don't know anything about New Japan Pro Wrestling. Right. And I felt like an outsider when I watched that. Like no one was was helping me to understand who was whom. Um, and then I got really, and I it was just like really scattered. And then all of a sudden, the NWA World Champion is a commentator. And Nick Aldis does a great job. Yes, but he's he's very clever in putting over the NWA in a very subtle way. Right. So now I've got three promotions that I'm. <laughs> And then they get to the main event, and then they say it's for the IWGP championship. <laughs> Not yet for, yeah. And I'm saying to myself, I thought this was Ring of Honor New Japan Pro Wrestling. Right. And it wasn't until later that I had to go research to find out that's what New Japan Pro Wrestling calls their heavyweight championship, yeah. which I don't understand, but I, that's I what they do. Right. But nobody told me that. Yeah, yeah. It was, like, <laughs> scattered. It was... It, 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 I didn't think it helped to right. bring new fans in and aboard and looking forward to an, like another show. Right. Yeah. And as far as I know, Ring of Honor has kind of a working relationship uh, with the NWA. 
uh, since they since they've relaunched it. So I guess they're kind of lending a lot of their stars to them too. So uh, you're right. If you're just seeing that for the first time and you're not you're not aware of their affiliation together, I could see how that would be uh, confusing. But I thought the matches on that card were actually were actually pretty fantastic. Uh, I thought. You know the, the the guys and girls did a, a really good job. Uh, you know, busted their ass in the ring. So, for me, but it's, it's, up, just, you but know. it's up to the commentators to let me in on why that match is happening, mm-hmm. yeah. what the history of that was, right? And um, you know, like kind of clue me in. I understand there was a video in house, um, maybe to explain IWGP or the, but they didn't show that uh, on their pay per view. Yeah. So, like, I was I was clueless. Um, if I think that maybe WWE does it too much, yeah. but you know, you, you need to inform me as to what the scenario was leading up to it. Right. Um, don't worry about insulting the people that already know. Yeah. 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 You're right. And I think WWE. Sorry, I know you're about to say something. WWE does do a great job of showing, you know, at least with their video packages and, and putting in a tremendous, you know, backstory. So at least for you, if you're picking up and watching it from day one, you would have some kind of idea of what was going on. Is that what you're going to get at, Jeff? That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, WWE yeah. does a great job of that nowadays, especially on their pay per views. Before every match, they show a video package of some sort highlighting what's built up to that match. And so if you are, you know exactly, exactly what's going on. I mean, I could even make an argument to say they overdo it because it, it, within the one, two, or three-hour show, like you don't have to tell me two more times or show me two more times what I right. saw in the first ten minutes. Right. But yeah. that's, if, if, if given the choice, I'd rather that than not to say anything at all about what happened in the past. Right. Right. So I, I, I like the fact that you actually still watch you know the product and, and, and still follow things because a lot of guys when they get out of the business completely, they usually want nothing to do with it or you know you, you've remained a fan all these years, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, every once in a while I get um, I get the urge mm-hmm. to uh, have an arena fit, feel. Yeah. Um, wasn't it was last month that I went to a WWE live event. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to see you know how that all went. Um, and, um, don't get me on another rant, but, um, <laughs> go for it or, or, or an indie show. I went to the super eight indie show, yeah. um, which I've been going to on and off for like 20 years. I don't get there every, um, every year, but I did the, the legacy interviews with the sons and grandsons of, uh, wrestling legends. That's on my Facebook supporter page. Yep. And that was fun. That was, they were great interviews. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. RTW Rewind. 
you were kind of trying to maybe allude to, to the WWE live event that you went to. Uh, w- was there something that, that you experienced that you know kind of set you off, or did you did you not enjoy the show? Or okay, I, I want history to record that you've asked me this direct question. Yes, that I have no um, nothing uh, nothing against WWE just because it's WWE. Okay. <laughs> Does the does the phrase consumer fraud mean anything to anybody? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as tickets go on sale, they advertise tickets as low as eighteen or twenty four dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. You cannot buy an eighteen or twenty four dollar ticket. I guess that that's only for when they sell everything else out. Okay. That's a uh, that's illegal. Yeah. Then it was Road to WrestleMania show. And they had six wrestlers, yes, I'm using the word wrestler, pictured on the advertising. Right. Three of them were present that night. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're going to see um, the Rolling Stones, would it be okay if Mick Jagger didn't show up? <laughs> no, no. You know what I mean? You're advertising, and, and it's not like they got caught in traffic. You know what I'm saying? Right, it wasn't right. because of an injury. It was because be, between if they had any um, integrity and they actually put people on the poster that they thought were going to be there, things changed. Right. Well, that's fine, but change your advertising. Right. And one of the three people who was there was Finn Balor, and he didn't even wrestle. I don't even know why he got suited up. He came out and sang with Elias. And then they got into like a couple of punches and yeah. he was gone. So I didn't even see a match with Finn Balor. Wow. So that's just a start. Yeah. yeah. It was only 40% filled and maybe fans have smartened up. Right. Um, I was even, <laughs> I was even um, um, accepting the fact that it didn't matter who wrestled whom. Like right. I, I was even right. accepting the fact that when I went, I didn't know, what the main event was. Mm-hmm. They even got me that far. Wow. Now, this is just, it's just consumer fraud is what it is. Yeah. I don't know how they get away with it. And they've been doing it for years. Well, Vince would always say cards subject to change. He was always pretty, pretty big on that. You know, he yeah, always put that disclaimer out there. It's usually cards subject to change beyond our control. Yeah. Not that it's crafted to right. make you think one thing and, you know, just into into false advertise. Well, it's like advertising John Cena for a show for months and months and months, and then he's not there, or advertising Braun Strowman to be, you know, in the main event of the Royal Rumble, and then they they switch it at the last minute, you know, and and that's uh, that's been going on for a while now. And if they, but if they do that, I'm not even going to say that's okay. But if they do that, then I think you need to inform the the purchasing the the, the ticket purchaser. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, is, that is something I've never noticed until until you brought it up. Is that when, when they when they advertise house shows, you know, with the brand split now, they'll advertise three Raw superstars, three SmackDown, Smackdown superstars, superstars, but they'll but they'll advertise it as a whole as a WWE live event. And so you, when you when you mentioned that half of them weren't there, that's probably because half of them weren't even part of that show. They're part of the other brand that you don't even see them a part of that show. So that's the, that's the WWE just promoting its name more than its actual superstars, which is I. That's what they're going for. They're going for. They're not. They don't want to um, 
well, I don't know if they don't want to, but their their purpose doesn't seem to me for you to get into a match and to care who wins. Mm-hmm. It's more of a concert festival feel. Yeah. Right. There's more time spent by the wrestlers, and I'm saying the word wrestlers, mm-hmm. coming to the ring and taking selfies with the folks at the railings than actually wrestling. Yeah. Um, that's what they want. Now, I know that's what they want, so I'm not going to complain about it because I knew ahead of time that's what they do. Right. And I have to say, the revival is awesome. Yeah. So I don't want to be all negative. Right. I mean, that was that was a uh, attack. I don't honestly, I don't even remember who they wrestled. It didn't matter. Right. <laughs> there didn't need to be anyone else in the ring. <laughs> they were so so good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much talent there, and I respect the young athletes. And the athletes today are head and shoulders above the wrestlers from the seventies and the eighties. There's, you know, and I go to conventions so they can punch me in the nose when they see me, (laughs) (laughs) but it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We just, you know, they just need direction. Yeah. And WWE used to pride themselves on the live events. You know, they used to be the more wrestling heavy shows when you can do different things and try things out. And a lot of things, you know, the the rules were a lot looser because it wasn't televised and you can, you can try things out and, and see what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, they used to be, like, more fun than going to the televised events at some point. So that's kind of unfortunate that you had that experience because typically that's not what they're known for. They're, they're, the WWE was usually known for having strong house shows or live events or whatever they call them now. Yeah, well, the other thing they've gotten away from is building an event. They Everyone talks about a match and, you know, from bell to bell and, and the story that you're telling. Yeah. But um, what doesn't exist anymore, and so I'm not coloring it, is that when you go to an event, you're being hit with a championship match out first. Right. Or a rivalry out first. Yep. Um, so there's there's no building. Um, I watched a pay-per-view um, not too long ago, and the main event was a championship match. It was the last match of the night, and it was good. But when I finished watching it, I walked away feeling but it didn't feel special mm-hmm. and it didn't feel special because everybody was on uh, working on high cylinders from match one, right. diving through the ropes and spinning and, and yeah. there's no bill to an event anymore. Right. And you would go see a flare steamboat main event. They didn't start with, you know, dusty roads in the first match. <laughs> no, they didn't. You, you would never ever think of that. Yeah. It, it wouldn't even matter if you got, into traffic and you miss the first match. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I, I think um, it's sort of like when you go to see a band and they have supporting acts. Right. The supporting acts start the night. Yeah. Um, I Once again, if management didn't want that to happen, it would it? Mm-hmm. One thing I will say is I think too many, and maybe this is more in the independents, um, those wrestlers uh, don't understand that concept of an event and the building of an event. And I think they're only concentrating on themselves. Right. I think it's, it's pretty selfish. And I think it takes away from the overall event so that I should understand. I mean, if I was the promoter, I would say, Hey, look, Sam, you're in the first match. You don't leave the ring. You don't fly. You don't do this move. You don't do that move. You don't do that. Move. Right. Mm-hmm. 
and they would hate me and maybe they wouldn't work for me in the future. Right. But I would want my event to be crafted in a certain way, not to leave it up to the individual performers. Because I'm the one that has the overall view. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They only have the view of their match. Right. And I, I do remember, like, you know, back when you were in, in WCW, I, I remember, like, maybe your first match of a clash would be, say, Ranger Ross against the Cuban Assassin. So, I mean, obviously, right. you know, both are both are great wrestlers, but they're, they're you know, they're mid-carters or, or they're, you know, they're, they're openers. So, you know, you're right. It's not going to be an exciting match. You, you usually want to work your way up there. Or, you or know, I remember. It could be know. exciting, but it's, but the outcome is inconsequential. Right. right. That's how I would, I would, um, I would identify it. Right. Yeah, like the Great American Bash 90, I think the first match was, was Flying Brian against Buddy Landell. It was a great match. But, you know, if you, if you, if you miss it, you're not really missing anything because they didn't have a, a storyline at all. That, that's one thing WCW did a lot with, with building their cards is they would just have matches for the sake of having matches and not have any storylines put into them, which is kind of different from what we see now. Uh, w- would you agree with that? Um, I, well... Like, I, I didn't, only the only the higher end talent would have the angles in the storylines. You know, the rest would just be filler to me. Quite honestly, like I didn't wa- I didn't watch the broadcasts because I was part of them. Right. But I always had the feeling that these are guys that were looking for an opportunity mm-hmm. to advance, mm-hmm. so that a win in the first or the second or the third match could bring them an opportunity against the U.S. Championship or. You know, something like that. Okay. All right. That was yeah. always my assumption. Yeah. But I don't know how Shivani and Ross and Gordon Soli and I don't know how they characterize those. Uh, and well, yeah, you're you're, you're, actually, you're actually right about that. You're you're, you're right because I remember they used to have a top ten uh, back then in, in WCW, uh, and that that was pretty much you know made a big deal. The U.S. champion was always typically the number one contender, and they and they worked their way down. I, I do remember that one. I think it was Fort Bragg where Terry Funk had attacked Ricky Steamboat because he wanted to be he was number ten and he was pissed off and he wanted to be higher on the list. So what, <laughs> you know, why, why not? Why not just go after Ricky Steamboat? You know who's the number one guy? So yeah, back then it, it meant something. Yeah. And this other thing, you know, like um, the way that they that matches come to be is kind of silly on WWE broadcasts. Mm-hmm. You know, and then oh yeah, during the commercial break it was made official. It's just kind of like, oh god, yeah. We I mean, talk about that every week, yeah. If I'm going to challenge anyone, I'm always going to challenge the the top guy. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, let's let's get into some of the stuff that you're doing now. I, I noticed that you do a lot of, of conventions, and I uh, had found you because I, I I to be honest, I, I had lost touch with with some of the things you were doing over the years, but uh, I did find you on Facebook, and I saw that you had a, a Facebook supporter page. I didn't know that was a thing. It, it's almost like a Patreon type deal, you know, where you can pay for for bonus content that no one else can get. You know, your regular followers can't get. How did you get involved with that? How do you how did you find out about that? I think it's a um, it's a test program that um, Facebook has started. Okay, that's um, kind of what I thought too. Yeah, I mean, they came to me and they asked me if I would be interested in doing it. Oh, cool. So, um, so I thought, well, yeah, I mean, I'll give it a try. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very difficult because people are used to, you know, the free page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, in order to, to get people to come back and expose them to um, the benefits of the supporters page, you have to offer things on the free page that they want to come to. Right. Mm-hmm. 
So that's why I'm creating extra content for that I ordinarily wouldn't do mm-hmm. for the supporters page. And I think it's fantastic. And, and as soon as I saw it, I signed up right away because, like, that's hell. That's a hell of an opportunity. That, that's a bargain to get some, you know, some of the stuff that you have that that I've never even seen before. And like I said, doing the legacy uh, 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 episodes you got now with with Timothy Zabisco, you have Leland Race, you have Corey Carino, Ross and Marshall Von Eric, Lance uh, Anawaii, uh Brian Pillman Jr. I mean, that's that's cool stuff, man. Like Jeff and I are totally into into you know second, third, fourth generation guys. So I, I love all that stuff. Yeah, and what was fun about those interviews was that in most cases, I worked with their dads. So I could share stories, you know, about Harley with Leland and I can about Larry with Timothy Zabisco. Um, yeah, they were they were uh, really good. Eventually, um, as we go along, I'm, um, there's never been an audio version of my book. Mm-hmm. So I'm creating an audio version of my book. That will be only for supporters. Oh, cool. Um, If I can get that uh, technically figured out, which I'm pretty sure I have. I'm also going to be putting um, a version of my stage show up there. Um, I toured two years with um, my Beyond Body Slam stage show. Yep. So that can't be found anywhere else also. So probably in the summer months, those episodes will, uh, will begin to appear. That's cool. And, and Jeff was actually asking me before he called you. Uh, he had noticed that you'd done the one man shows and wondered if you're still doing them. So you're, you're currently not. That was, just a, that was just a project that you did. The first I time. did it. Yeah, I traveled for two years with those shows. Um, it's not that I won't do them in the future, mm-hmm. but I'm taking um, a break yeah. mm-hmm. um, from doing it. Um, when I worked uh, the second time I was in Pittsburgh, the second time I was in Chicago, I was brought in by local promotions where they hosted my stage show and um, we coordinated it with a weekend where they had a show. So I did a guest ring announce on their, uh, on their promotion show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a nice marriage and I'd like to do that in the future. So if there are any promoters out there want to bring my show in, I'll appear on your, uh, your indie show. Um, it's, it seemed to work. Um, I would do the show in the afternoon or the night before. Mm-hmm. And then stay in town in Chicago, Pittsburgh, wherever it was. And, uh, and yeah, and, and, and participate in your indie show. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. RTW Rewind. What kind of feedback did you get from for your one man shows? Did you get uh-huh. positive feedback? Yeah, I did. Um, it was it was pretty amazing. But I, you know, I, I'm I'm um, I know I know my audience. I know the, you know, the demographics, um, you know, most of the, most of the folks are, uh, WCW fans. Yeah. Um, my, w, <laughs> my WWF fans are, you know, like dying out. Right, <laughs> yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever have a problem with a lot of people, a lot of younger fans not know who you are? Um, I wouldn't know that. Yeah. I guess. So. I, I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah. True. Yeah. <laughs> 
I only know the younger fans that watch YouTube and the WWE Network right. that do know me, right. and that's okay. that's kind of impressive to me yeah. because they're um, they're actually educating themselves. They're doing something to go out and you know learn about things, um, and then I have to change my language a little bit in my stage show when I get young kids there. But that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. I, I'd rather have them and change my language. Right. Speaking of the WWE Network, I saw that you did a recent interview with someone that had, had, had worked for the network, and you were trying to find out the, uh, the, the truth behind why the WWE was, uh, what, overdubbing your, your, your past performances? Yeah, I mean, we didn't get to the bottom of that. No, you didn't. In that, in that interview, I tried. That guy, he was a character. He was... Yeah. He was. He was like a performer himself. Right. Um, yeah. So I mean, I, I've always had my theory, and he said, "If you re- if you if you remember, that's possible, mm-hmm. but that didn't answer my question." Yeah. So I'll keep digging. I'm going to find out. And I saw a couple of theories from from your fans on your on your Facebook page that said uh, maybe a lot of it has to do with the fact that they don't own the license of the music anymore, and they put in their own. And that kind of had to overdub, uh, you know, your, your ring announcing. But uh, for the most part, it's intact. I think there are certain spots that aren't in there. But uh, for the most part, your, your, your most famous calls are still in there. Uh, you know, what I thought was always think is funny is when people tell me not only did they have another announcer um, dub over my introductions, <laughs> but they had him imitating me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just think that's that's funny. I mean, that's a pretty good compliment to you, I guess, if they try to try to emulate you. I'm right down the road from, uh, you know. From, <laughs> you know that you're right. Why don't they just call me and I'd come in and, and redo the intros? <laughs> well, touche. Yeah, that's, you're exactly right. Uh, Jeff and I were wondering why uh, you had never done anything for the network, so I'm assuming you're never approached by anybody from WWE. Um, for, you know, when, when I'm at conventions, like the, I was at a convention this past Saturday and a fella uh, who's a – he he does uh, documentaries, and he told me he was hired to do one for the WWE Network on Roddy Piper. Mm-hmm. You know, so he asked me about my association with Roddy. Um, um, when when they before the in, the WWE encyclopedias came out, um, they had uh, there was a guy at another convention who came up to me, and he was tasked with starting that project, mm-hmm. and um, and and had asked me about. Um, he said, because there aren't many people that we have as resources that go back to the seventies, um, you know, but usually those folks don't get back to me. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, to talk to them for sure. Yeah. Have you ever thought about getting back into ring announcing for any promotions? Um, full time, maybe not full time, but, but, you know, just several appearances throughout the year. Oh sure, I yeah. I go out and do guest announcing. That's cool. Um, I was out. I did uh, a couple of years ago. I did a few appearances with Mid South. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a. Uh, I do benefits. I did a benefit earlier this month for the American Cancer Society up in Northern New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say the promotion, but there was a promotion that contacted me about doing one of their pay per views. Not. And I told them, you know, I'm not interested in doing the entire pay-per-view. I'll come out and do the main event or a, any match you want. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what I, you know, would be interested in. It, did, yeah. uh, it obviously didn't materialize, but it, right. it may in the future. So do you still have the pipes for it? or uh, I think so. 
Uh, your voice yeah. hold up, held up pretty well over the years? Just so I keep smoking, I'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's usually the key from what I've heard. <laughs> that's funny. Folks, folks say to me, uh, you know, like, Gary, like, you're smoking and you're an announcer. And I always tell them, well, I'm afraid that if I stop smoking, my voice is going to change. Right, so yeah. Right. I need to keep it sounding the way people know it. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm no. not advocating smoking. No, so no, no, of course not. No. I don't want your listeners to, to get all ruffled up. I'm very, like, non-politically correct. Like, I could care less about, yeah. you know, most of this crap. Oh, that's, that, that's the M.O. for this show. So Yeah, exactly. Especially with me, because I'm a grumpy old bastard, too. So, I mean, feel free to be a grumpy old bastard if you want. That's fine. That That's my M.O. But, uh, uh I, I always likened you to being the Howard Finkel of WCW. And that, that's not a knock to saying that he's better than you, but that, to me, I, I thought he was one of the greatest announcers of all time. But I, I would put you on that same level. I think your work, from what I saw growing up, was fantastic. And ever since you left WCW, it was never the same. That's not a discredit to David Penzer or anybody else that ever took over. Uh, I just thought you were the voice, you know, of WCW, and you were you were on par with with what Howard was doing, uh, in, in my opinion, on the WWF. Yeah, I think I think what you're, if I may, and, and obviously you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're saying that I was the identifying voice with WCW, yes. as Howard was the identifying voice with the WWF. Right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. Okay. Thank you. That's, that's <laughs> right. I, I don't know that, but I I appreciate yeah. it. Um, it, it's kind of funny that you were on the cusp of, you know, you left WWF right before WrestleMania and before things got really huge and you left WCW before Nitro came on the year later and you missed that whole revolution too. So it's almost like a day late, a dollar short, but it looks like from the career you had that, that didn't bother you either way. You were still happy with what you've done, uh, in, in the product that you put out. Would that be a, a fair assumption? Yes, that's a fair assumption. I, I always joke and I tell promoters, look, hire me, keep me for a couple of years, get rid of me, and then boom, oh. your promotion will explode. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, yeah, no regrets because the people that were in charge at the time that I left those promotions weren't folks that I was simpatico with, that I was ever going to get, a, you know, I, I wasn't going to feel comfortable working with them. Right. So, um what I can say is that I had a ball and I enjoyed all of my announcing career. And if I had stayed beyond um, when I was welcomed, uh-huh. I probably would have been miserable. Yeah, yeah. So I think be miserable. And I then think look, at, look at the opportunities that happened, um, you know, on my way out of WWF. I did ESPN. I would have never been associated with the NWA. Sure. And then I would have never been on WCW. Yep. Yep. Um, if I didn't stop announcing WCW, I would have never written my book. Yep. Um, I sat home for two years to write that book, yep. um, and I wouldn't have, you know, that would have never happened. And then the stage show would have never happened. Right. Um, and then I, I would have not have had the opportunity to work with Ring of Honor. Yeah. The only opportunity that I just flat out turned down when I left WCW was Paul Heyman called me when word was out that I wasn't going back to WCW and he wanted me to come into ECW mm. and I had no interest, <laughs> no interest, huh? Any, any particular reason why or just, well, yeah, because, um, and it may have been my ignorance mm-hmm. or it may be the truth. I don't really know, but everything I had heard about it was, um, 
ironing boards and jumping from balconies and, you know, slash and burn kind of thing. Yeah. And it's just not the kind of product that I wanted to be associated with. Right. And he wanted, he didn't want me to come in to be a ring announcer. He wanted me to come in to be a commentator. Really? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's another thing. I, I, I told him, Paul, yeah. I, I'd be I'm terrible at doing that. that. That's not what I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can see that, but uh, you never had a, a, a desire to try to you know be a broadcaster and just try to do a different element of, of, of the business. I had a, an opportunity. Um, luckily, it was a very uh, low-key um, promotion back in the 80s, and uh, it was just horrible. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the only way that it could have worked was um, if I joined Joey, Joey Styles. Yeah. First off, um, coming from WCW, the ECW fans, they would have hated me. Right. So I just I said to to Paulie, let's give them a reason to hate me, mm-hmm. and let me be the color guy with Joey, and let me be the anti ECW guy. Yeah. Let me let me just speak exactly how I feel. Right. Uh, he didn't see that vision, <laughs> and oh, he's man. he's a lot smarter than me. So who knows? And he's a genius too. And I can't believe he wouldn't have gone for that because I would have popped for that. That that's a fantastic idea. That's that's too bad that never that never came to be because that would that would have been magical watching you two go back and forth. At, at the time, um, he wanted to replace Joey. Mm-hmm. He and he and Joey were having uh, were on the outs. Okay. And luckily. You know that um, that didn't come to be, you know, because Joey was ECW. He was he, he was yeah. great. He was great and, at what he did. Yes. So so can you really imagine not only me coming in but replacing him? Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> talk, about, said, talk about heat. Yeah, no kidding. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was like Paul. I said, whatever you want me to communicate to the fans that, as a replacement for Joey, they're not going to listen to me. Right. Like, yeah. yeah, no, it was they they were he was having this little hissy fit and they were not getting along. But that didn't last, and luckily, it all they all continued along together. Yeah. Can you imagine what that would have been like, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, not not hearing Joey Styles as the voice of ECW. It's been weird, just because Joey did. Joey is he was great. part of that company. Yeah, he was he, he was perfect. Yeah, yeah. And can can you imagine what what would have happened if if Gary and 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 Joey got together and they would have had that heel? <laughs> Heel face dynamic. I mean, that, we, that, well, you know, Paul stole that idea and used it. I guess about four years later with Cyrus. Yeah, and that's true. Uh, you know, because he became Joey's color was the anti ECW guy. So a couple yeah, just a few years later, they pretty much did the exact same thing. And I didn't Paul, know that. Yeah, yeah, he did. And Joey and I would have looked like brothers. You do kind of actually resemble each other, or uncle nephew. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, you you know, you, I'm not saying you're older by any means, but you still look so fantastic. Yeah. You know, you're still pretty recognizable. Uh, you've aged you've aged very well. I mean, you look like I remember you. So I mean, that's I don't, maybe it's the smoking. So don't don't ever <laughs> don't, don't ever quit smoking because maybe your face will change. You know, you might get older. <laughs> I, I I'll I'll continue to to look like I did. I'll can somewhat. I'll continue to sound like it'll. They'll just be like 15 years less of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, after I die, you'll play that clip. I know you will. Yeah, <laughs> you will. We'll play it in reverence. If if you outlast me, right? That's great. <laughs> that's great. Uh, well, we're going to start to wrap things up here. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this interview. I 
we we greatly appreciate the time that you you, you took to to talk with us. Uh, you know, like I said at the beginning of the show, you're on my bucket list of people because I grew up listening, you know, watching you, and and you're you're one of the like Jim Ross and everybody else. You're one of the voices of my childhood. So um, I, I'm glad. I'm glad that you came on and, and spoke with us. Is there anything that you want to plug? Uh, we talked about your Facebook page. You want to show people how to, uh, or tell people how to sign up for that, or plug anything else you got? Any appearances? All uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, you can find me um, it's Facebook. My initials G M C, the number four real G M C for real. Um, if you want to uh, get the um, these exclusive interviews and and all this special content that I'm creating. It's pretty creative. Um, yeah, great stuff. Come on and uh, click the supporters page and and sign up. It's a small monthly fee, and um, you'll get content that no one else is getting. Yeah, On Twitter, it's Gary Capetta, and um, but the Facebook page is really what I'm concentrating on. G M C number four real. And you are for real, and you are putting out fantastic content. And it, it is such a, a small amount to pay for what you're offering. I mean, you're putting out stuff, you know, two, three times a day. I mean, you're, you're very active on that page, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, well worth the, uh, it's well worth the money. Uh, do you have any upcoming appearances you want to promote? I will be in uh, Providence, Rhode Island on June 7th and 8th. Um, I'm honored to be inducted into the New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Awesome. on uh, Friday night, uh, June 7th, and then the 8th, there's a convention. So um, I'll be in town, and I'll stay for the convention. So that'll be a good time. Uh, are you involved with StarCast 2 at all? Have you been invited to the show, or are you going to go check any of that out? I have not, and I okay. um, have no plans for it, okay. and they have not contacted me. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, I'm sure if you showed up, Nobody would turn you away, so <laughs> everybody knows who Gary Michael Capetta is. Come on. <laughs> uh, Jeff, do you want to promote yourself, man? What do you got going on, on social media now? Sure, guys. Yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Run With Turtles. Um also have my Twitch gaming channel, twitch.tv slash run with turtles, and my very active YouTube page. Just search Run With Turtles and it's the first name that comes up. And you guys so you're, you're a gamer? Yes, yeah. Rob and I both are. We actually met on the uh, the Twitch gaming channel. That's that's yep. where we first we interacted with each other. That's how we got all started. Yep. Now tell me, how good or how bad was the uh, Showdown Legends of Wrestling video game that I did? I liked it, I and did. I was actually I was actually yeah. working at a movie store when it released. And um, I've always been a big fan of the the wrestling games, and I I liked. I know a lot of critics didn't, and right. they, they kind of crapped on it. I I highly enjoyed it though. I I put a lot of time into it. Yeah, nice. I enjoy, I enjoyed it too, and I was actually surprised that that you know your your voice was in it, and I was like, oh wow, that's Gary Gabetta. So I thought that was a neat little addition. I loved doing it. It was it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. How many hours did you uh, did you put into that? We did it over uh, two weekends mm-hmm. um, in two different cities. For some reason, I think the first weekend was um, in St. Louis, and then the second weekend was down in Austin, Texas. Um, yeah, I had a. It, it was just a. It was a lot of work mm-hmm. because of uh, because I started announcing before there was electricity. I boom, I boom. I you know it's like I don't have a microphone. Yeah. And and a voice, whether you smoke or you don't smoke, is not made to boom for ten hours. Yeah. Right. So uh, I lost my voice in the middle of it, mm-hmm. and we had to uh, call it a day. And I came back the next day, and uh, we did get through it. Wow. Because you're a pro, and that's what you do. <laughs> you know what? They, um, 
what they always would say to me was like, there was never any second takes. Yeah. And so I said to them, ring announcers don't get second takes. No, you really don't. Yeah. You know, like if you're doing a package and you're a commentator and there's a flub, well, let's do it again. Yeah. But, but I never, no one ever said that to me. Like, you know, Gary, you can, you know, redo your introduction. It's, it is what it is and it's out there and it's either going to fly or it's not going to fly. So when you're accustomed to not getting a second chance, you usually don't need it. That's true. And you're, you're live without a net and a lot of people don't, don't realize that or don't have a respect for that. But I, I always did. Cause you're right. You know, you're out there by yourself. Yeah, you know, you're the one letting people know what's coming up next, and you got one take at it. You're right. There's only one chance. Uh, I, just going back to one thing I remember uh, before we, we close the show, I do remember Starcade 90 uh, where they had, like, uh, an international tournament with, with people from all over the world for some kind of uh, international trophy or cup or whatever it was. And uh, I think it was Ray Mysterio's uncle uh, had wrestled, and nobody knew how to pronounce his last name because some people said Mysterioso, some said Mysteric. Because the way they the way they spelt it, I think it was M Y S T R I C, and uh, I think you had maybe mispronounced it, and Jim Ross had mispronounced it, but nobody in the show knew how to pronounce the guy's name. I always thought that was kind of funny. I don't know if you uh, if you remember that at all, but I do not. Was that the um, was a tag team tournament? Um, like they had a South African team, yes, they had Steiners yes. were the USA team. Yes, it was a tag team tournament, yep. Yeah. yeah. All I know is what uh, what's printed you? on the sheet that I get at uh, at the production meeting. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I just I always thought that was that was funny. I didn't even know if you were even aware of that, that you and the announce team were on, on different pages that night for that for those introductions, so uh, if you ever get a chance to go back on the network and watch that, you'll you'll see what I mean. It was, it was definitely Starcade ninety. So, okay, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, just to wrap up here, uh, you guys. If you want to find me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Rad Rob Gaming. Uh, I'm also a Twitch gaming streamer. It's Twitch.tv/slash Rad Rob Gaming. And like Jeff, I also have a YouTube channel. Uh, just search Rad Rob Gaming, and it comes up. We're, we're very big into our our brands, Gary. That's why our, our our podcast name seems kind of funny. It's the Rad Turtles Wrestling Podcast, but since his his call, you know, his handle on on Twitch is is Run with Turtles, and mine's Rad Rob Gaming. We just put Rad and, and and Turtles together, and that's that's how we came up. We like to keep things easy for people, so it's all about marketing. It's all about brand. I know I know you're big in, into your brand and, and marketing, so you can. That's probably- why. That's why I stole General Motors Corporation's GMC <laughs> 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 number four real yep. supporters page. Everybody, come on and join it. <laughs> I love it. I always wondered why you went by your your full name when you were wrestling or when you were you were announcing wrestling. So was that the theory behind it, or is that just it? Just sounds cool. Back in the uh, back in the seventies when I started, it, it was unusual. Yeah. You know, it was me and Charles Nelson Riley. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That that was about it, and uh, I, I actually um, gave some thought of changing my name, mm-hmm. and then I just thought out of respect to my parents that I wouldn't. Yeah, and little did I know that they probably would have preferred that I changed my name. <laughs> right, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but who could have known at the time? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it just likes little subtle things to set me apart. Yeah, and it did, and we'll always remember you. So I mean, that's a. It's a credit to your, your talent and your work over the years. And uh, like I said, we greatly appreciate you coming on. And uh, if you ever want to do this again in the future, man, I'll, uh, you know, just, you got my, my info, just hit me up and uh, we'll get together and chat again. Thanks. This was easy and it was fun. I appreciate it. Good. I'm glad you had a good time. That's, that's what we try to do here. You, yeah. you, a lot of guys that come on there, they don't know who we are and we could be just a bunch of Joe Schmoes that don't know shit. And, uh, you know, we're actually 
heavily invested in what we do and in, in, in the sport of wrestling that we love. And, you know, we, we try to make everyone feel comfortable and feel like it's just a bunch of guys talking shop. So that's, that's and our we are. Yeah, We're all fans, you know? Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've only been doing this since December. So if that's an indication of, of, you know, where we're at as, as, as broadcasters, you know, we, we, we put a lot of passion into this project and, uh, and I like to think that it shows. So I'm glad you had a good time. It was easy. Thank you. RTW Rewind. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that flashback from the past. An episode of the Vault of the Rad Turtles Wrestling Podcast. Jeff Johnson and I interviewing the one and only world's most dangerous announcer, Gary Michael Capetta. It was a pretty long interview, uh, but he had such great stories, so I hope you guys did enjoy it. Uh, I gave the, uh, the the plugs there back then on the show. Not much has changed, uh, but I'll do it again here in an updated version. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at RadRobGaming. I do stream on Twitch every Tuesday and Thursday. I do stream on Twitch every Tuesday night, 6 p.m. Central, and every Sunday afternoon at 2 in the afternoon at twitch.tv slash RadRobGaming. And check out my YouTube gaming page called Rad Rob Gaming. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, we are at RadTurtlesPOD. You can send us an email, RadTurtlesWrestling at gmail.com. Leave us a like on Facebook, Facebook.com slash RadTurtlesWrestling. And check out our company Twitter page for the RR Podcast Network. It's at RR Pod Network. I'll be back on Saturday for the flagship, giving you the good, the bad, and the ugly from this week's wrestling TV shows, as well as the current news. Polyester Evil Taylor will have an imbecile of the week. And who knows, maybe I'll get into another epic rant. You never know what's going to come out of my mouth. Until then, guys, thanks for listening. Appreciate your support. We'll see you on the flagship. Take care, guys. Thanks again for listening to this episode. You can follow RTW on Twitter at RadTurtlesPod. And you can email the show at RadTurtlesWrestling at gmail.com. We appreciate all of your support. You've been listening to RTW Rewind, exclusively here on the r Podcast Network.